Welcome to the Future Accords on KTUH University of Hawaii Radio for the cultural and educational enrichment of the students of Hawaii as well as the global community. On this show, we will interview thought leaders to hear about their past, present, and hopes for the future. Join us as we dive into topics around the five P's of sustainable development, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. I'm your host, Ari Eisenstadt, and let's explore the future together. Aloha, and welcome to the Future Accords with Ari Eisenstadt. Today, we're joined by very special guest, Helen Jacquard, the project manager for Veterans for Peace on the Golden Rule Project. Helen, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's my total pleasure, Ari. Thank you. So, Helen, you just came across the Pacific Ocean on this boat, the Golden Rule. Can you tell us about that? Well, the Golden Rule is a very special boat. She was built in 1956 to 58 in Costa Rica, and she was purchased by a group of Quakers that were trying to stop nuclear bomb tests in the Pacific. After they tried very hard to stop these tests in every other way, contacting the president and Congress and doing demonstrations in the streets, they decided to get a boat and sail it across the ocean and just put their lives in the way of these nuclear bombs. Amazing. So this is an incredible history, this Golden Rule boat that has been been moving across the ocean and across time. Um, what was that first voyage like, and how did it gain so much attention? It gained so much attention because it was needed. The strontium-90 that does not exist in nature and was being produced in nuclear bomb tests, not just by the United States, but by other countries, was blowing around the world. And Dr. Benjamin Spock, the famous pediatrician, was writing about the radiation in our atmosphere and how it was getting into babies' teeth and bones and mother's milk and cow's milk. And everybody was really upset about it. Everyone was really trying hard to stop these tests. So there was a, a huge effort by the Quakers to put together a program that would be successful. And ultimately, they were. Because when the Golden Rule sailed from Los Angeles to Honolulu, and subsequently the crew got arrested, and it was because they were breaking the Golden Rule rule. This was passed by the Atomic Energy Commission during the time that they were en route, and it was to stop people from going into the nuclear testing zone in the Marshall Islands and away talking bikini atolls. And so they intended to break this rule, so they got arrested. But that brought on a big public outcry, which was great. They didn't have to sail to the Marshall Islands. I don't know if that would have been a good idea or not. But at the same time, everybody found out about it, including, well, enough people that they put a lot of pressure onto President Kennedy to sign the Limited Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of 1963. So that was, like, incredible success. And then when people were starting to say, well, what about these underground tests that are going to happen up in Alaska? Some people in Vancouver, B.C. said, well, let's do what the Golden Rule did. Let's get us a boat. What shall we call ourselves? Peace. Greenpeace. And that was the founding of Greenpeace. So we inspired them as well. Wow. 
So really spearheading a whole movement around uh, around peace. And this is also in conjunction with Veterans for Peace that, that the Golden Rule then became a part of. What is the history of that organization? Well, Veterans for Peace was started in 1985 by a group of U.S. military veterans and their supporters. I'm a member of Veterans for Peace, but I'm not a veteran. We've always been integrated together, but we're there to lift up the Veterans for Peace voice, the veterans' voices, and to talk about the costs of war, and that's human and environmental and financial costs of war. And one of their founding principles is to get our country, the United States, to stop interfering overtly and covertly in the affairs of other nations. And another overlapping principle is to ultimately reduce and get rid of nuclear weapons. So it's a, it's a marriage made in heaven as far as the, the peace boat and Veterans for Peace. What's the story of how these two groups came together? Golden Rule, after 1958, when she got to Honolulu and they were stopped, you know, and the crew arrested, well, the boat was sold there and wasn't heard from for a long, long time. But eventually in Northern California, she sank in a gale in Humboldt Bay and she was drug up onto the sand. And the people that decided to restore her, that was Veterans for Peace. So she's always been a project of Veterans for Peace, um, starting locally with the Humboldt Bay chapter. And then nationally, they adopted the project. And so now Veterans for Peace owns this incredible boat, this incredible vehicle and, and tactic for um, bringing attention to the problems of militarism and nuclear madness in the Pacific. Can you paint a picture of what this boat looks like for our listeners uh, and what it was like to restore something like that that is so old and a wooden ship? What has that process been like? Although I wasn't part of the project, this is what I've been told. So it took five years. The boat was in reconstruction from 2010 to 2015, and I came along right before she was finished. And and, but there were dozens and dozens of people that worked on her during the course of those five years and dozens of businesses that contributed either things or, or money to the project and lots of fundraising parties. Um, and people worked happily on this boat because they had this incredible vision of what it could do in the future, which was to originally, when I was headed to Humboldt Bay with my partner, we got intercepted before we even got there by these three visionaries, and they said, we're about to finish this boat, and now we're about to start sailing it with a mission. So we need this delicate transition to happen from boat building to a mission. And so they said, we want to sail her all over the waters of the United States, starting on the West Coast, and then we want to sail her down the Gulf states and up the eastern seaboard and into the Great Lakes and back down again. Please, you know, help us with this mission. And instead, we ended up deciding to go into the Pacific because a couple of years ago, when Trump started threatening North Korea with nuclear bombs, we decided we had to take action and bring more attention worldwide to the probability of nuclear war and the necessity to get rid of all nuclear weapons. How exciting. I want to hear more about that vision right now. But just to tell us more about your story, how did you get involved with these organizations? What's your background like? Well, I was just an ordinary person doing an ordinary life until I met my partner who um, walked away instead of going to Vietnam. And 
through him, I learned, we learned about Veterans for Peace and got involved with them. Ultimately, in February of 2015, the call came out to finish the Golden Rule so she could start sailing that year. And I just turned to him and I said, you know, I'm, I like that kind of work and we don't have any plans this spring. Why don't we just take our RV and move it into the boatyard and see how we can help out? Well, I was a database programmer in my other life and I put up a crew application form online and in order to test the whole process, I filled it out to much to my surprise and great honor. I was chosen to be a crew member on the Golden Rules maiden voyage after she was launched. And I've been the primary public speaker and the event coordinator and find the crew and all of that ever since. <laughs> how great. So how many crew members are there on the Golden Rule and how, how big is this ship? Well, she's small. She's only 30 feet at the waterline. She sleeps four people and and four people are necessary to sail the boat. Um, it, there's It's hard to get the mainsail up. But um, so four people at a time, we've had over 150 crew members so far. So we have a rotating crew. Oftentimes we um, have a, a crew member on only for one transit, which is really fun because everybody gets a chance to sail on the golden rule. So um, like I say, I coordinate who's going to be crew. If you want to be on the crew, we have an online crew application form. It's at vfpgoldenrule.org slash crew dash application. So it's really easy. Just go online, fill out the form, and there's a section about availability. So you can say, well, I only want to do this one transit. Very good. That's fine. We'll put you in the hopper, and maybe you'll get a chance to sail her. Fantastic. I'll certainly be doing that. So tell us more about what this current present voyage is like. You just came from, from California. Is that correct? Right. So we decided it was time to bring attention to what's going on in the Pacific. Um, after a couple of failed attempts to get here, we did manage to have a, a great captain and crew and a boat that was fully ready. We left San Diego July 11th, and we arrived in Hilo. Uh, July 31st. So it was a 21-day voyage. And um, as a shore person, I was receiving a daily communication from the captain. And so I put together a note to all of our supporters saying, this is where the boat is, and a picture about, you know, this is how far along we've come. And, and then we had this great ceremony when we got to Hilo. We had a, a couple of um, Native Hawaiian elders greet us and the Hawaii State Legislature put together a resolution in support of the Golden Rule and the principle of nuclear disarmament. It's been fantastic being here, too. We have people that host us in their homes and treat us to dinners and um, give us great opportunities for speaking events like I was just at today. Yes. Tell us about that event and, and the other educational experiences that you have here in Hawaii. Well, we speak to at schools, at um, Buddhist temples, at community centers, wherever people gather, Quaker houses in particular, because this was originally a Quaker boat. So we always connect with them wherever we are. And I would really like to do more of connecting with people from Pacific Islands, including Hawaiian groups. So um, even a small group. It makes a lot of difference. You put a lot of different little pebbles in the water and pretty soon people start to say, oh, we need to all pay attention to what's going on with nuclear war and weapons. Our programs typically last around an hour, but longer if we have some more public speakers there too, which is great. And you can contact me at 206 
992-6364. Or you can email us at V as in veterans, F as in four, P as in peace, golden rule project at gmail.com. And let me know, like, do you have an event or a, a group that would like to hear us? Um, would you like to go sailing? Would you like to just go see the boat? Right now we're in Alawai Harbor, slip 638, and you can't miss us because we've got our signs up on the sail bags. Um, but we'd love to give you a tour of the boat, and if you would like to sail on some of the many transits circumnavigating Hawaii, or I mean Oahu, we have several stops we're going to make and to you know get our word out to many audiences. So we look forward to seeing you. That's so great. And what a generous and open spirit that the, the community has. That's really, really inspiring. So how long will, will you be here in Hawaii? And um, what are your next stops after this? So we will be in Kauai, our last stop in Hawaii from December 1 through 15. And then the plan is to sail onto the Marshall Islands and continue on to Guam, uh, where we're going to be talking with a lot of the Chamorros there who have been very much hurt by the military occupation of Guam. And then on to Okinawa, where planes take off to practice attacking North Korea, and where the giant military base at Hanoko Bay is causing total environmental destruction and will be the extinction of the dugong um, sea mammal, which is similar to the manatee. Then we'll go on to Jeju Island, South Korea, where we've been invited to come and be in solidarity with them, um, where they've had the same experience of a giant military base being built, destroying many coral reefs and upsetting the people who protested against this giant base for over 10 years. And then on to Hiroshima and Nagasaki in time for the 75th anniversary of the horrific bombing of the citizens in 1945. So that'll be in July 6th and 9th, 2020 will be those anniversaries. So there are opportunities for all those different communities to come and, and see and meet with the crew and really experience this golden rule mission. What is the main message that you're giving to, to these peoples and these communities uh, as you learn about their struggles with militarism? But is there one main focus that you and Veterans for Peace have? We want to actually give them a louder voice to a different community than they can normally reach. Because we are part of the peace and justice and anti-nuclear communities in the United States who may not know what's going on in the Marshall Islands and Okinawa and, you know, Japan right now. And also just to lend a voice of solidarity from our community to theirs. We don't want to take over their struggle. We can't and don't know how to. What we do want to do is support them with publicity and to educate the United States citizens about what's going on, what our government is doing. There are issues around the, the VA, Agent Orange, uh, veterans being deported. Can you tell us about these issues also that are deeper than just around peace and militarization, but really about how our, our veterans and people are, are being treated before and after conflict? Veterans for Peace is a fairly large organization, around 3,000 members, mostly veterans, and there are national projects, and then there are over 100 chapters in the United States and around 10 in non-U.S. cities. So we work on a variety of issues, but some of the national projects include um, Agent Orange 
uh, remediation and relief in Vietnam. We have a chapter in Vietnam. And um, Save Our VA campaign is um, to help make sure that there are still VA clinics everywhere and that veterans can still use them. Right now, there's a huge push in the federal government to privatize the Veterans Administration and uh, particularly the medical care of veterans. But veterans have uh, particular health needs that can't generally be met as well out in the general medical community, like PTSD and traumatic brain injury, um, and some of the more more difficult problems that they have to deal with. So um, Veterans for Peace is working with um, nurses associations and unions to try to save the VA system so that that will still be available to um, new veterans that are and the, and the older veterans, too, that still need that care. And you also talked about um, veterans being deported. What is that issue? A lot of people that ended up in the military came here as children from other countries. So they could have been early dreamers, as you might call them now. So they, they went into the military. They served honorably. They got out of the military. And sometime later... They maybe got caught with marijuana or they did some other crime and ended up in legal trouble in some way. And when that was finished with, instead of treating them like you would, you know, a veteran, someone has served our country honorably and having them do their punishment and then be released, they get deported. And there's, a, um, I think, a couple hundred uh, U.S. veterans that were deported to Mexico it's not the only place that we deport our veterans. But um, down in Mexico, they have united. There's two chapters of Veterans for Peace down there right now. So many really deep issues around how, how veterans are treated and the costs of war. Um, in, in looking at the future, have you seen a trend towards more people in this peace movement um, over, over the years and all of your experiences of advocacy? Is this something that's really starting to, to gain momentum or do you feel even more inertia from the growing, uh, the growing military budgets uh, and conflict in the world around nationalism and populism? What gives me hope right now is what the younger people are doing to fight climate change. And I think it's important to note that the U.S. military is the largest consumer of petroleum on the planet and therefore is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions more than any other entity. So there's connections to be made with this energy that the youth has right now. And there are a lot of sideways kinds of groups getting involved. Like, I mean, for me, Occupy was a big deal. And it changes the conversation away from just directly butting heads with the system to saying, look over here somewhere else. Because there are issues like the 99% bringing up inequity in this world and, and being a source of conflict. And so I see that going forward as we get more and more youth involved with understanding the costs of war and understanding the costs of the Cold War and, and creating nuclear weapons, that they will take this message forward. Um, from those of us that are a little bit older, um, we need to make sure that they're educated in all of the issues, not just the one 
threat to our human existence, but the other main threat to human existence, which is nuclear weapons. Absolutely. In talking about education and awareness, um, it's really interesting to think about uh, these vessels that have the the vision from from your golden rule to um, the Polynesian Voyaging Society to the Peace Boat uh, to Greta Thunberg coming across uh, the the Atlantic uh, to the UN uh, on a sailboat. What is it about boats and and being able to be on the water that really bring together this global community around activism? Right now, I think one of the things is that we've got the we've got climate change. We have environmental destruction from from the military um, and and other issues that that do seem to be coming together um, under the auspices of boats. It's a good tactic. It's dramatic, and therefore it draws people in. It gets their attention. Well, like the Golden Rule, for example, although she's a small boat, she's got really big sails. So she's got a six-foot diameter peace sign on her mizzen sail, and she's got about an eight-foot diameter Veterans for Peace logo on her mainsail. So you see her. You have no no doubt about what you're seeing when it's coming towards you in the water, right, Um, as she's sailing past. In fact— we were sailing into San Francisco Bay one time, and a month or so later, this guy, he sends us some pictures. He says, I saw your boat, <laughs> and here's some pictures of it. I didn't know who you were. I started looking around, and there we go. I found you. It's great. <laughs> Do you see this type of experiential education as a way moving forward as the, the future of advocacy and activism? I think you have to use experiential education because you can't just use your head. It doesn't get you anywhere. You have to engage people with their hearts through art and music and poetry and writing and speaking. You have to use your whole self in understanding a problem probably before it even ever gets to your brain. I'm real good with brain work, but I'm not so good at the rest of this. I could use some artists and some musicians to help me out, but I do have one little diddle. We didn't know when we set sail in 58, we'd all end up in jail. But I've been called worse than fool for sailing on the golden rule. Oh, love it. What's the story behind that diddle? Well, the golden rule sailed in 1958 and the crew got arrested, right? So uh, the author, Mike Stern, um, has a really beautiful piece that you can find on our website that goes a lot more and talks about the Phoenix, uh, the boat that took over from the Golden Rule and made it into the nuclear testing zone in the Marshall Islands. Wonderful. And I love being able to include the arts and music along with education and environmental advocacy and, and political awareness. It really all fits so well together. What do you see as the biggest challenges uh, in in this mission? What would you like to see more of uh, in creating this this awareness and real change? For me, I think it's mostly numbers. We need we could use 100 Golden Rule ambassadors in all over the United States and some throughout the world. But it's the United States that's the biggest bully around. I think that if we could agree to disarmament, that the other nuclear-armed countries would as well. So this is where our work really is, is in the United States, to influence our own people. But I'm only one person, and we have a, a few other Golden Rule ambassadors that also do public speaking, but we could use a lot more. And, and once we have... 
a whole army of people speaking um, against nuclear weapons and for peace. Maybe that's going to be what it takes. That's great. So we have lots of information on how to get involved. What else are would you say to the people in Hawaii that that really are facing these uh, really unique issues that you've mentioned? What are some of those stories that you've seen and learned and uh, things that uh, other peoples around the world can really can really take as as lessons uh, in that resistance? I like what people are already doing. People are connecting with each other. The people of Hawaii are connecting the issue of what's going on with Mount Kea to what was at least going on in Standing Rock, and they've connected with what went on in the Vieques Island, Puerto Rico um, bombing range. So, so what I like is the way that the the people are getting together and they're connecting their issues. So, Coho Olave is connected to Vieques Island, Puerto Rico is connected to Standing Rock, and so the indigenous peoples of the world are starting to take the world back again, as well they should, because. You know, the Europeans have just invaded without permission. And that's what we see in Okinawa with the Hanoko military base, Jeju Island, South Korea, Guam, Kwajalein, Marshall Islands, Hawaii. You know, this terrible military industrial complex comes in and just takes over and thinks they can do anything they want. Well, it's starting to not be so true. And so I want the people to continue to do what they're doing, and I want everybody else to start supporting them. I want people to understand that Mauna Kea is not about a telescope. Mauna Kea is about respect. Mauna Kea is about, let's get rid of the telescopes that you're not using and clean up that land. Let's properly take care of Pohakaloa, the the military training range. So whenever you do an exercise, you go out after yourself and you pick up those bullets and bombs. And you clean up the area as you go. And if you do build a 30-meter telescope, you put in enough money and enough dedication to the project that when you're done using that, you clean that up too. And if you did that, you'd have a way forward. That's really inspiring. In closing, what what is your vision for a world that has brought about these decolonial futures, brought about uh, demilitarization, world peace? What does it look like in, in the future when we've realized these goals? You'll have a whole different economy. You'll have resilience and independence in every location. People will be, again, growing their own food. And if there's extras, they'll trade with other people. You'll have, again, people producing their own commodities that they need. You'll still have electricity, but you'll be producing it with solar power. You'll still have a society interconnected and interdependent, but you won't be cramming anything down people's throats. And there'll be a a whole variety of cultures that are much different than the standard European model. And people will be taking care of each other. We'll have our moral compass back again. And we'll be trading instead of making war, such that everybody wins. And that's totally possible, which reminds me that oftentimes when I talk with people that are like maybe in opposition to our project, I say, well, maybe I could at least convince you that peace is possible because a lot of people don't even believe it. But if you believe that peace is possible and if everybody believes that peace is possible, it becomes possible. It's the self-fulfilling prophecy, and we need to capitalize on that instead of capitalizing on extracting minerals from the earth. Absolutely. Well, a beautiful vision for the future. I'm certainly on board. Uh, Helen, thank you so much for being here on behalf of the Golden Rule and Veterans for Peace. It's really an honor. 
Thank you so much, Ari. And this is a boat that's funded only by small donations from for wherever we go. So if you could go on vfpgoldenrule.org and make a donation, it would mean so much to us because we need a lot of money to get to Japan. So All right. thank you if you can do that. Please support and get involved and work towards peace. Helen, thank you so much again, and thank you to all of you for listening to the Future Accords on KTUH. I'm Ari Eisenstadt. Mahalo. Mahalo.